Hey guys, welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. One of the great things about having a podcast is getting to sit down with some incredible people, push record, and share those conversations with all of you. In today's episode, I sit down with Rebecca Bass-Ching. Rebecca is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also the owner of Potentia, which is an integrative mental health practice here in San Diego dedicated to supporting the whole person, mind, body, and soul. Rebecca is a regular writer and contributor for The Darling Magazine. She's also a Daring Way facilitator and consultant. Have you heard of Brene Brown? Have you heard of her research and her books? One of them being Daring Greatly. So Daring Way therapists have gone through training rooted in Brene Brown's research. Rebecca Bastian has gone through those trainings and is now a facilitator and trainer herself. In today's episode, we talk about scarcity culture. We talk about abundance culture. We talk about the power of enough. I'm so excited to share this conversation with all of you. Rebecca is just so wise and just such a joy to be around, and I'm so excited to be able to share her wisdom with all of you. Let's jump in. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassidy. I am sitting across from my good friend and colleague, Rebecca Bastching. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Cassidy. Thank you so much for inviting me into your home and feeding me these snacks and getting me a kombucha. You are amazing. Well, thank you. Lovely <laughs> to have you here. This is quite special to have you come to my house and do a recording. Uh, so it was so fun. So I first came across Rebecca when I came first came across your name when there was a an intern that I was working with and she started she I think started working with you and she was work, she was going to a group that you were running and she started working with you and she just had the most incredible things to say mm. and then your name just kept coming up <laughs> Have you awesome. heard of Rebecca Bastching and I heard about Potentia the integrative health therapy practice that you have and I was just like, I need a meter. So I think I sent you an email and I was like, Hey, I am in practice and I keep hearing your name and can we meet up? And we met up and you were just as amazing as everybody said you would be, um, as a clinician and now as a friend. Well, so thank you for those kind words. It means a lot coming from you. So we are talking today about, Scarcity, mm-hmm. scarcity culture, abundance culture. I'm sure perfectionism will potentially show up in here, and yes. something around fear. <laughs> so, talk to me a little bit about where you think this. Where's where did scarcity culture grow from? Like what what happened that scarcity culture sort of grew? Great question. I want to back up just a little bit yeah. to talk about like scarcity, oh, what it is, because I think it's important. And as I've been researching this, um, this topic over the last several years, kind of moving from scarcity mindset back to what is scarcity? Like mm. there's not enough water. Mm. There's not enough um, housing for people. There's not enough money to pay the bills. There's not enough money to get food on the table. 
So there's this element of understanding scarcity, what's real. Absolutely. um, In our country and, of course, in the world. Um, And so when I read, um, I read Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, and I'm a certified facilitator and a consultant with her work and up to my eyeballs (laughs) with this work, like just about every clinician I know, right? (laughs) So I was reading Daring Greatly, and this is book full of like a gazillion truth bombs, right? Mm. I mean, Brene's brilliant at like distilling the complex Mm. and making it relatable and understandable. But there was this line where she's talking about scarcity and um, how the opposite of scarcity was not abundance, Mm. but it was enough and really about wholeheartedness. And something inside of me shifted. Mm. It was like I had to put the book down for a moment. I mean, I did that probably a hundred times with this book, but that stuck with me enough that I've I've done a lot of time researching. We're actually going to do research on this topic too. Um, And started thinking a little bit about that and the connection of abundance and the abundance culture. And so, I mean, I've shared with you before we were talking about this, how we, there's this, especially in personal development circles, um, in faith communities, um, even professional communities, there's this sense of just, um, you know, if you, you know, manifest it or prosperity, and then if you're not getting it, then something's wrong with you. And then hello, shame, hello, mm. comparison, competition, and perfectionism, yep. hustle, hustle. And so what I found is um, that how when we're pushing abundance, like I just need to you know, focus on all these things I want. In Western culture, I think the original intent of this abundance has been distorted. Mm. And so then if, then we get told like, you just need to imagine it and you need to go for it and you need to will it or pray for it or manifest it, whatever. And then if it doesn't happen, Mm. it shows up in my office again and again. It shows up with the leaders I consult with again and again of I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. There's not enough. There's not going to be enough. I need to do more. And then the hustle comes in. And I think we've lost touch in cultures that are blessed with so much resources. And I'm saying that knowing that there's a lot of struggle in not only our city here in San Diego, but in our country, but as a first world country as a whole. Yes. Um, And a lot of the circles we run in, I mean, our sense of enough got distorted. And then what we think is abundance is jacked up now. Mm. And so that's when I realized shame was hiding behind this abundance piece. And what Brene said is that she really believes that scarcity and abundance are two sides of the same coin. Mm. And so when we're pushing that and having that, allowing that to permeate in, and as I was thinking about our conversation today, even as a mom, um, (laughs) as a woman, how some of this I got to do it better. I got to do it more. I got to chase. I got to hustle and go for the the best. And excellence got distorted into being one way. So that, and especially I discovered too, if people had real scarcity in their story, Mm. scarcity mindset had a way of infecting things too because security came from more and more, bigger, Mm. better. So there you go. Absolutely. What has been your experience with how scarcity and fear are connected or related to each other. And so, Mm. you know, there's always been pain in the world, but over the past decade, there has been, there has been a lot of pain, whether it's with natural disasters or, and maybe it's because we have social media and we still have, we have like constant access to the big, the big pain and the pains of like the, the, like the global pain, right? The national pain, as well as the individual pains of, 
of people's experiences and great losses. How do you see, or do you believe that, is there a connection between how much access to all this that we have of pain and the fear that comes from that and almost like secondary traumatic stress of, mm -hmm. of experiencing these things? Do you see a relationship between that and, and scarcity and abundance culture? I, I think there's no question there is. I mean, you touched on a lot there. My brain's exploding a little bit <laughs> in a good way. Um, I, I believe with scarce, the scarcity piece and connecting with the pain in the world, I really do believe scarcity is protect, protective. Totally. So instead of kind of, you can't just flip a switch and say, I am going to have enough mindset. Done. Our, we, our field would be eradicated gladly, right? If it was like, <laughs> right. you just need to stop this. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Got it. But... This fear and then connected to when we have pain. Mm. And of course, we're very biased towards mental health, getting help, doing the deep right. soul work. I mean, yep. we do the nerd talk, right? Yep. We're the fun people at the cocktail hours. Everyone's <laughs> yeah. talking about stuff and all of a sudden we like talk about neuroscience and everyone's yep. like, oh. Well, and then they're the research, you know. Yep. <laughs> exactly. People love that when we I bring know that into the conversation. I could shut down a conversation a great, really well. great happy hour convo. <laughs> but... um so because we're prone to and very advocate, we're advocates for mental health support, where I see scarcity mindset really um, causing, doing a lot of damage is keeping people from getting the help they need, mm. whether they're coming to us or even naming their struggle. I'm not strong enough. I should be stronger. Um, this isn't that big of a deal, mm. right? The minimizing, mm -hmm. denying, rationalizing, mm. scarcity, shame. Party where mm -hmm. scarcity is, where perfectionism is, mm -hmm. where disconnection is, shame's running the show. It's just a given. So if one's there, I know the other ones are going to show up. Yep. And so the other part is, and you know this too, our brains hate risk, hate uncertainty, and hate emotional exposure. Oh, yeah. And those are the three things that Brene defines as vulnerability. Mm. And then she says, this is the thing that's the bridge to all the things we want, love and belonging and creativity, innovation. And what I don't know if I'd sunk in for me right away, but, but I feel like there's still this element in abundance culture. Like if someone comes up and says, Cassidy, I was just so vulnerable. It was amazing. That wasn't vulnerability. <laughs> no. 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 If I'm like, I can't breathe. Yeah. But I did it. Mm. I said it. I went there. Yeah. Um, that's vulnerability connected to core values and with mm. boundaries. But when we experience pain and if we have, if our system says it's not okay to feel pain, um, it's dangerous to feel pain. It's not, you're going to lose respect. You're going to lose friends. You're going to not have the safety of the important people in your life. Then yeah, shame and scarcity and fear have a party. Mm. And so the big thing about scarcity mindset and, and mental health and relational health, it keeps people from naming the struggles. It's just, there's, it's a something not enough mm. all the time. And it's a hustle and it's protective. Um, and it's insidious mm. actually. And especially when, and we know people like this, right? Um, and I've been there too. Why am I struggling right now? Look at all the good. Or other people have it worse. Mm. Oh, yeah. So then you've got the comparative suffering come in. And then we deny our pain. So that's where things just get really funky. And 
we, we need to really guard what we put in our brains mm. because we can't unsee it. We can't unhear it. It's like, you remember that movie? I'm probably a little older than you. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh. Jim Carrey. Yes. And they it's tried. It's been a long time since I've seen he it. They tried to get rid of the it. memories yes. and then end up not yeah. working, you yeah. know. Or a lobotomy. That would help not have these issues. Not part of my intervention strategy no, at all. No, I neither. Yeah. And so it, it's that fine line with compassion. We need to have compassion to mm. care and not become numb to the suffering in our world. Right. We have to have empathy boundaries, though, and be able to pour in and go, that was hard to witness. Mm. You did great. You did the best you could. And so that's the other side of the coin. But I feel like a lot of people who are functioning well but white-knuckling a lot are, unbeknownst maybe, being hijacked by scarcity mindset. Mm. And then people respond to, maybe you just need to dream big or go for more in this abundance piece, and it's just a, a shame cluster there instead. I work with quite a few clients impacted by cancer in one way or another, either themselves or someone that they love. And... I have often heard that, you know, there's this sort of piece here of if you need to have, you need to think more positively, you know, you need to think positive, exactly. you need to have, um, pray more, have more hope. Oh, just let it go. Just let it go. Oh, that's my favorite. Ooh. Not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then when the cancer comes back exactly. or the tumor has grown, Ugh. then it's like, well, so was I not positive enough? You nailed Did it. I... You nailed it. And that's scarcity mindset mm. right there. That is really a petri dish for shame. And and, and Brene's definition of shame is the intensely painful mm. feeling or fear of not being worthy of love and belonging. And if love and belonging is our oxygen to our soul and we think we're going to lose it, we'll armor up then mm. too. So I am so glad you gave that example. And we could put that to other things, someone in recovery from addictions yep. or an eating disorder or who had a failed marriage, um, but it was going through a lot, or if there was affairs. Um, we, again, the list could go on and on. When something happens to us, we immediately, either ourselves or others, like, what did you do? Mm. And um, Because our that, brain is trying to make sense of things all the time. Well, our brain is like a meaning-making machine. Like, so I want to make understand this. Exactly. And, <laughs> and so just world theory, we love it. I mean, I see this a lot. I've worked with trauma from the beginning of my career. Um, and the common themes are they, they get, who were you with? You know, if someone lost their power, someone took away their power and assaulted them. Who were you with? What were you wearing? Mm. What part of town? What time of night? Were you drinking or doing drugs? Well, you know, yeah. and then, and then the, and their own, they've internalized that themselves. Yeah. Even if they never heard that, yeah. that's already in their system. Part of our work is to work on, there's some things that no one ever has a right to take away your power. Mm. There's no, you asked for it. But mm. we do, you're exactly right. Our, when our brain's trying to make sense of things, we can do a lot of harm to ourselves and others in that process. Yeah. So how do we, how do we move through this onto, into, some, into, into the place of enough? Right? Okay. Yeah. I feel like community is essential. Community. Community. Mm. You mentioned the Petri dish earlier. Yeah. And I, um, I often use, and I, this is definitely from Brene Brown's work, I use the Petri dish sort of example around shame, that when you throw shame 
which which what you you just described shame being sort of at the core of all of these things, it right? Is. When you throw shame into a, a petri dish and you throw in isolation and fear, um, fear mm-hmm. it just festers and that's where it grows. It loves that environment to grow, but if you throw in with that petri dish petri dish with shame, you throw in connection and community. Yeah, and Brene defines connection as being seen mm. and understood. Mm. I mean, think of the last time someone really, you felt really witnessed by somebody. What is that? You just feel it in your soul. Mm. It's like just that cold glass of water on a hot day. Oh. That's medicine for our soul. Mm. Um, but it's also, there's also the sense, the other part is love. No one said, love is the most dangerous and amazing thing you're ever going to experience. And you're, it's in your DNA to want it. Mm. And it's terrifying and you're going to get your heart broken. That's not a movie, or it's yeah. not a movie I would go see. Yeah. No, <laughs> definitely not in the 80s. You know, I want John Cusack holding up the big boombox. Yeah. Um, and we say this a lot. We Insta and Pinterest a mm. lot, all these wonderful quotes. I dig them. Yeah. I like them. I heart them. Um, I sometimes retweet them. But um, I think for me, I actually had a courageous conversation with someone who is in my faith community and who I really respect. And I had the story I was telling myself that she was thinking about me. Mm. And I've been sitting on it for two and a half years, Cassidy. And part of it, I slowed it down because I didn't want to be like, I'm thinking this and you fix it. I had to mm. rumble internally. Yeah. And then finally, I, had, I said, hey, this has been going on. And I just need to name it. I don't need you to fix it. Yeah. I have enough trust in history. She's like, whoa, thank you. That's all I needed. Wow. I know that wasn't easy. I'm so grateful. Anything you need from me. And the practice of continuing to say I'm struggling mm-hmm. and not, and here's for me, my, one of my biggest issues is I hate to feel like a burden. Mm. That's like the Minnesota way. Maybe it's just the human race way. I don't know, but definitely in Minnesota, you don't, but you go out and shovel the snow and 30, de- 30 degree below weather and don't yeah. say anything about it. Yeah. And so for me to say I'm hurting and that that's huge when seven years ago, gosh, we found out our daughter was on the autism spectrum. Mm. Our world shrunk because of her, our whole friends and family and fake community social network flipped because our, we couldn't have the bandwidth of people saying, how do we fix her? Because mm-hmm. if she wasn't broken, yeah. we needed to get her comfortable. Um, we couldn't, we had people criticizing us for getting extra help so we could breathe. She taught us how to find belonging. We were forced to ask for help and the people it. So I feel like it takes a lot more work than ever before to cultivate that community. Mm. And there's a sense, if you have a struggle, you're supposed to be done with it too. And I think that's scarcity versus it's chronic and ongoing. I mean, the example of cancer Anyone I know that survived cancer, even if they're clean, it's always in the back of their head. What's my next checkup going to be like? Always. Yeah. Um, and so there's something about community and having hard conversations. And and for me, thinking about as you know, a white, straight, Protestant woman, I've been having a lot of conversations about what are some more courageous conversations I need to have in my communities. Um, mm. And... We're scared also. This is a big one about community. I, when I worked in D.C., I worked for a United States senator, and for I learned so much from him because at the time I was there, 
he would socialize with no matter who was on either side of the aisle. Were they a good tennis player? Did they like a certain food? And I got to see these relationships behind the scenes mm. where it wasn't, he, was, he would surround himself with people who were very different than him. And that was so formative to me mm. where I thought everyone just, and now we really are segmented around people that reflect back to us what we're believing. Mm. And so we need to be courageous even in our communities to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. But if we have no bandwidth for vulnerability, healing and change isn't going to happen. What, what you're talking about right now reminds me of some of the the pieces that Brene Brown talks about in her most recent book, Braving oh, the Wilderness. So good. Strangers are hate are hard to hate. People are hard to hate close up. Lean in. So lean in. Lean in. Mm. I, I I agree. And there's something, um, you know what else? There's something about hate, like that kind of gives you this righteous anger, and it gives you a little dopamine rush. And, and hating hating with somebody like we hate the same person we hate, right. we hate the same thing there's something in that that feels it's uh, bonding and yeah. so I remember the closest thing I think of too is like where I grew up we were I mean sports were huge in the midwest or still are so like in our high school we'd hate the other team right <laughs> I grew up I went to Bloomington Jefferson Jaguar and Kennedy we hated mm-hmm. them. I mean and it was like we were, it was kind of ridiculous over the top And then seeing adults do that to the extent that that does. I stayed small in things I'm deeply passionate about for a while Mm. because I was terrified of being misunderstood. Mm. And as I rumbled with that and did my own work and having kids sure as heck just forces you to be courageous. Oh my gosh, does it? Well, because it's like if I'm not going to show up and I'm asking, you know, and they're doing such a great job of it at their little age. um, I decided, you know what, if I'm misunderstood... I had to figure out who mattered and who didn't. Mm. And and I couldn't not care at all because that's not healthy. Because um, even if someone I don't know attacks me or misunderstands, judges my profession or judges my faith or judges my parenthood, um, judges my viewpoints on social issues or fiscal issues or whatever, I love that. But to have scarcity just says, you know, be basically what everyone else wants you to be. Mm. Don't have security and I lost touch with with myself and so getting really clear on what I value and if I'm going to lean in (laughs) it's because it's aligned with something important for me not to me um not just have to do be everything to everybody but scarcity keeps you small it does and then the prosperity the hangover is what did I do from the prosperity manifesting uh 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 abundance piece of it it is is trippy and so I am braver and clear because I around people who are different than me Mm. um I married someone very different than me oh dear lord and he (laughs) speaks truth and I that I can no one else could probably say (laughs) but even then um having courageous conversations and and being okay with it not going well Mm. we're not we just 20%, and this is conservative, of adults in our country have clinical anxiety. And about 18-ish percent have depression. But that anxiety is just contagious and keeps us small and keeps us safe. And so if we can help our nervous systems and our souls know that we're going to be okay, even if we have a hard conversation or a misunderstood, um, yeah, 
I don't, that's what, that's more what we, yeah. we need to do, even if it's not seen by the world or on Insta, but just in our families, mm. <laughs> I think that's yeah. important. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. So there's this piece that you touched on earlier of we, we, we don't have the ability to subtract things from our brain, right? Like the, nope. di- the discourses that have been swirling around us for years, we can't unhear those things or forget that those discourses are there. You know, the messages that say this is what, this is how it sh- how you should be and how things should look. And um, if you if you do this enough, if you, if you if you are positive enough, then this will happen. And mm-hmm. right, so all these messages are here, and our brain's not going to forget them. Nope. How do we then step into? Okay, I. I want to reclaim my values. I want to reclaim what is enough, right? How do we step into that knowing that our brain (laughs) and the powers around us and uh, and the stickiness of these discourses and messages are going to be there? Like what, what there's, there's There's some practices there. I think that, I mean, I think it's a constant recalibration. So writing down the two or three things that if you're going to engage in something big, why do you do what you do every Mm. day? And then checking in with that quarterly. Um, The other part too, and this is what abundance mindset I feel like has done a lot of damage, is if you're having imposter complex or the inner critic or the perfectionist or the people pleaser and all the labels, people say get rid of it. And you can't. I mean, my mindset as a clinician is that we have these internal protective parts are trying to keep us safe. Mm. So that kind of reframing, having a mindset shift on how we look at these internal critics and inner shamers and all the things and start to get curious about them mm-hmm. and their fears. And I call it the U-turn. It's kind of an IFS term, internal family systems, a Y-O-U turn. And so if, you know, I see a convert here conversation or someone does something in front of me and I just want to get, I start seeing red yeah. and I'm a redhead. So it gets all, I get really <laughs> steamy. Um, I, I'm getting better at it. <laughs> yeah. I could hear my husband going, well, but just going, what was it about that? Mm. And it slowed me down a lot. And understanding that those parts aren't going to relax, those critics, those perfectionistic parts, the imposter complex, and until the pains, the traumas, the mm. wounds in my story are unburdened. So I know if there's something really hanging on and I keep hearing this negative, toxic message, that's a sign i got to get back and do my own work. Mm. So. Your listeners are probably like, of course, two therapists are going to say, go to therapy. <laughs> go to therapy. But go to therapy. But that's the answer, guys. <laughs> but practices, um, yeah. and I, you know, here's, this is so basic, but I've been really focusing on that um, this year too, is I am protective of my sleep. Mm. I fail at that weekly, but I try. Hydration, feeding well, moving well, and how am I talking to my mm. body? So those are the things I check in. If I feel like I'm in kind of hot mess mode, I regroup because if scarcity is all of a sudden hijacking me, instead of shaming myself that I'm a therapist and I have all this experience, so I should never struggle. I mean, we have so much shame around reoccurring struggle. We need to normalize struggle. Like mm-hmm. if you love and you're trying new things, you're going to feel shame. Yeah. You're going to feel. And you're <laughs> going to struggle. You're going to struggle. experience pain. And that's how you grow. And we need, to, we need to build up our tolerance. And the reality is there's a lot of pain, but our threshold for the pain has gone down because I don't know if we're fire hosing ourselves, we're tapping in and out. There's a lot of theories on all of that. But for me, I just get, I have to do the U-turn and I get curious about 
those negative beliefs. And what I ask them, I literally just say, hey, what, what are, what's going on here? What are you afraid of? Mm. What do, what's your job here? And immediately I feel this relaxed because there's connection with these inner parts that are trying to protect yeah. me. And I know this may sound woo-woo. And I, I mean, I guess I'm a therapist. We just talk differently. But, but what I found, we have these complex, complex inner worlds. Yeah. And instead of trying to, and you can't get rid of these parts. You can't get rid of your imposter complex. You can't get rid of your perfectionist, but they can be unburdened of the pain they're carrying. Well, the minute I accepted that I am, that I have a perfectionist inside of me, that I am perfect, that I have, a, there's a per- little perfectionist, Cassidy, like <laughs> walking around in my heart. The minute that I was able to say to myself, that's not going anywhere. She's there to, she's just there. Because then what, I love this idea of a U-turn because what, what happens in that space is then I turn to this part of myself mm-hmm. and I say, wow, you're working really hard. And, and I ask myself, why? And, and not in a finger-wagging no, way, but an no. unagenda why, in a, a genuine curiosity. A, a genuine curiosity in a place of like self-compassion, like compassion for like, there is something here that's probably really important to you, you know? And, and listening, I, and, and then really listening. And really listening. And you know what I actually discover in that space? Is I discover what my values are. I discover my, my little perfectionist inside of me is is wanting to protect those values and wanting to like make sure that I'm in alignment with these values and sometimes it can get hijacked by what the discourses are of what those other values parts. should be and yep. other parts right but but if I really take the time to like tune in and show up with that self-compassion of like this is a part of me and it's going to show up it's it's not going anywhere so here's the thing that's popped in my head because i feel i don't can i swear um i'd have to mark it explicit okay you can spell it i feel like a jerk (laughs) yeah there you go I don't want this to be explicit. I know. I a part of me is very this. uncomfortable with that to be associated with explicit. And a part of me maybe isn't, but I, know, I yep. digress. Here's the other piece. So I do the U-turn. I check in, right? I work on the practices of checking on sleep, hydration, feeding, moving, talking to myself. The other big one is checking with my expectations of self and others. Because mm. when you talked about slowing down, if someone would have said that to me when my kids were one and three... I might have gotten violent. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know uh-huh. what I would have broken yes. in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the times that I was spinning was because I was un, I was just ridiculous with my expectations. They were unrealistic. I incorporated potentia when Hazel was three months old. I did not know what I was. I did not. I just didn't know. And some people kind of wag their finger at me. And, you know, I just am like, you know what? I was just mm. doing life. Yeah. That's just how I did life. And all of a sudden, my body was... I couldn't eat. My body was in pain. And I had to do a few little recalibrating things in my life. And all of a sudden, got better. And it's like, because I was freaking out, like the eating disorder specialist, not eating. This is not good. (laughs) This is not good. I couldn't. Food was hurting my body Mm. because I was stressing myself out. Because you were at that level of stress. And your body was like, no, we're not going to eat now. We're just (laughs) going to fight or flight. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to say. When we talk about just getting curious, but there's seasons of that. But if it's hard to do that for me... I have to get clear on my expectations mm-hmm. then. And that's, I w- if I were to go back to my new mom self, I probably would say that even though she wouldn't have listened to me. <laughs> but I get, that's what I'm doing today. My, I've really cut back. I'm still kind of, you know, when I finish something, I'm not adding anything else on. And 
I have friends and colleagues that are so good at that. I just, you know, when you're a multitasker and you can numb with work, right? Mm-hmm. But the the expectations when I'm feeling overwhelmed or I feel like I can't do it all, then I have to, that's another, I do the U-turn check-in. What are the expectations and where do I need to recalibrate them for mm. myself and others? So that's another practice mm. that's helped me get realistic um, yeah. with things too. Before I jump in and start asking you about resources and where people can find you, is there is there anything else that you want to add? I, I think one of the passions I have, and again, I believe everyone's a leader. Mm. I, I read in a book that, if you walk into a room, you impact that room. So that's a leader. And so what kind of leader do you want to be wherever you are? And now in this culture, more than ever, we need leaders that are showing up with more courage, with more clarity, um, and with more compassion. And those words I know are used a lot and maybe have become a little nebulous, but that feeling of, I know who I am. I'm still scared of being misunderstood. I'm scared of being rejected. I'm scared it won't work out, but I'm going to try. Mm. And that to take the time to, to invest in you showing up that way, whatever that looks like with friends or therapy or a coach or a mentor, but don't suffer in silence because mm. then the world isn't getting your art and it's desperately needing your art and your light. And that I feel passionate about. And that's what ticks me off where the shame and scarcity and all the things and all the Billions of dollars that are spent on advertising, having us believe we're not enough unless we do or buy something that we got to push back on that. So that's, I think that's one thing I would Mm. add there. That we are enough, enough, enough. It's never on the table for negotiation. Mm. And every time we doubt it, we got to do the U-turn. Our worthiness, our enoughness is never up for negotiation unless we give it up. I love that. It's so powerful, Rebecca. Thank you so much. What are some of your favorite books or resources in that, that are in light of everything we've talked about yes today. i've got some so of course everything brene brown's written <laughs> anything brene brown her written. ted talks yeah. her website yeah i've got colleagues all over the globe and the daring way who are facilitated mm. so wherever you are listening um it is an incredible community one of the best professional experiences and personal experiences in my life is doing that work um i would also check out selfleadership.org I referenced IFS, Internal yes. Family Systems, the U-Turn, a lot of this lingo, selfleadership.org. Um, there are a couple books there I highly recommend checking out. Um, Introduction to Internal Family Systems. There's like trees on the cover. And then another book called You Are the One You've Been Waiting For. Mm. So Miss Couples Therapist here, yeah. if you haven't read that yet. Yeah. You've mentioned that one. It's on my It's on my list. I, I reco- think I might need to up it. And I list. recommend that to people even who aren't married, but yeah. it's a relationship book. It's mm. written to couples therapists. But um, it's just so helpful mm-hmm. and kind of adjust, kind of understanding when other people let us down instead of saying, you have to change and show up for me. What, you can't control that. How do we take care of the parts of us that are wounded? Yeah. Um, Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps Score. Mm, yep. If you love and if you do anything any day that makes you feel uncomfortable, read that book. <laughs> so everybody. And with, with a disclaimer, he uses some pretty graphic uh, cases from mm. really gnarly trauma. Um, so if you're at a tough time right now that I would pause or skip over that, but he talks a lot about the body and the nervous system. And I'd also check out anything Dan Siegel. Um, he's got some great parenting resources. I'm Mindside. sitting down with Dan Siegel in a couple of weeks to record something. It's so. going to be a treasure. He, is, his work is a gift yeah. and, um, his stuff and IFS blend beautifully. Uh, yeah. Um, also, um, trying to think. 
What about you? You're a resource. Oh. Where can people find so you? So I've got I work with the most incredible people in the community at potentiafamily.com. So we're at integrative mental health with therapists. We have an amazing dietitian who's um, does a lot of health and wellness, work with elite athletes. I also do a lot of leadership and corporate and entrepreneur wellness at RebeccaChing.com. And Instagram uh, at RebeccaChingMFT. And then Facebook, RebeccaChingMFT, and then Potentia Therapy too. Rebecca, thank you so much for inviting me into your home and sharing your wisdom and gems. And I will be linking all of these websites um, as well as some of these books in the podcast notes. So thank for you. anyone listening, check those out to find Rebecca and the beautiful, amazing resources that she's offered us today. Thank you, Cassidy. And you're a gift in our community as well. So you're a treasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.